Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman, and you're listening to the Heartwork series on the Qalam podcast. Heartwork is a weekly session at the Ruth Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions and these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org sustain. We really appreciate your contribution. We appreciate your prayers. And we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Hope everyone's doing well, inshallah. Um, you know, given the uh, circumstances with um, the coronavirus and just the general uh, help that the health county and the CDC have been providing everybody with regards to advice and you know how to how to live and how to act. Um, we went ahead and took the steps a few weeks ago. Um, sorry, not a few weeks ago, a few days ago. Uh, a few weeks ago, we mentally sort of started to prepare mentally what would happen. But a few days ago, we went ahead and sent out a um, uh, a flyer, a design, um, letting people know an announcement that we wouldn't be having programming for the foreseeable future here uh, at Roots, um, just as a way of keeping people safe and healthy, inshallah, and trying to mitigate the risk and flatten the curve. Um, so I'm actually here um, in this room alone. Um, May uh, is getting some work done. We're 27 feet apart now. Um, we've been using it as an office, but obviously making sure to wash our hands, and Safi's here as well literally putting hand sanitizer on right now. Um, but it's just us, you know, using this space for research and for work. Um, unfortunately, we're not able to have people here. And it's a very interesting uh, feeling. But subhanAllah, there's uh, never ending lessons. You know, if you look hard enough in life, you'll always find lessons that Allah SWT is giving. Um, the lesson that's probably the most powerful right now for us, for me especially, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolutely independent of need. He has no need. He has no uh, dependence on us. Uh, we are fully and totally dependent upon Him. And sometimes when we stumble into arrogance and into entitlement, we forget that. And we start to think of ourselves as being self-sufficient and that we have our own agency and our own authority. And um, subhanAllah, we... Um, something as small as this virus, um, you know, a lifeless thing that can't even be seen without a microscope um, is something that can completely shut down entire cities. You know, the entire world has shifted and has changed for the foreseeable future as we know it. So this is just a reminder to us, you know, that, that we need to, one of many reminders is that we need to constantly have this um, in our in our hearts, you know, that Allah Ta'ala is the one who has no needs and we need him. And I'm sitting here looking at this empty room that's usually filled with, you know, a hundred or sometimes more people. And uh, yeah, subhanAllah, it's crazy. Nevertheless, we keep moving and we keep going. And as we say at Roots, community never stops. So we're going to try our best to bring everything online. Uh, if you haven't seen it already we've put up some graphics that are going to talk about what we do online there's like numerous programs that we're going to take whether it's to social media platforms like instagram and facebook 
or whether it's to um, you know Zoom to host a specific Zoom account. So if you want any more information on the programs that we've already put together and the links and details for those things, you can go to rootsdfw.org slash livestream. Uh, or if you go to the website, rootsdfw.org, there's a live stream button. Or you can just click live stream or go to slash live stream for that. Um, but bismillah, we'll continue with our study of the seerah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Last week, what we covered, we went over a couple different things that were um, really powerful, really beautiful lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu um, We talked about how the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu what he established, uh, the constitution that he established in Medina, and how there were uh, multiple groups of people, multiple groups and religious groups, um, individuals that uh, believed in him, people that didn't believe in him and his message, and how he had become the de facto leader for everybody. Um, he had become that leader for everybody. So he had to develop a constitution and bylaws for the city that fit everybody. And so he had... Um, you know, he had a uh, he had basically a set of standards and protocols for Muslims, and then he had a set of standards and protocols for those who were not Muslim. And it's not that one favored over the other, but obviously within the Islamic faith, there are certain rules, certain protocols that have to be obeyed. And then outside of that, the Prophet ﷺ did not impose um, his religious uh, values upon other religious communities. Um, in fact, he made space for them to exist, right? He didn't tell them that you have to convert to Islam. Um, he didn't tell them that you have to follow me in, in this religious belief. He made space for them. But at the same time, you know, he still held to certain standards and protocols that had to exist uh, within Medina to make sure that society was harmonious. And one of those uh, standards that the Prophet ﷺ held and taught was of justice and fairness and equality and this was something that the Prophet ﷺ, he set as a very real standard. And he, Aisatullah made sure that everybody in Medina understood that status or race or uh, even religion was not going to be something that was going to create a waiver uh, in the heart of the Prophet ﷺ when he was leading or judging people, but rather the content of one's character, you know, the ability for somebody to be truthful. Uh, was going to stand out in cases, especially when there was a disagreement that the Prophet ﷺ would side on the side of, he would he would choose the side of truth and justice and not choose the side necessarily of uh, even his own brethren in faith if it meant going against truth and justice. And we had some stories last week that we talked about. And then we also had the story of the advent of the Adhan, the Adhan, which is the call to prayer. So the 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 story of um, the Sahabi who had a dream in which he heard the call to prayer and then he went to the Prophet Sallallahu uh, This was after a day of trying to figure out what prayer call they were going to use and they had tried to uh, come up with many different ideas, none of which the Prophet Sallallahu was particularly uh, a fan of. And so the Prophet Sallallahu you know, there was a, there was a noticeable... Um, sorry, one second... There was a noticeable, uh, you know, the Prophet ﷺ did not feel as though he was uh, satisfied with any of the options. You know, they tried a horn. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, this is too similar to the Jewish community. They tried a bell. The Prophet ﷺ said, no, this is too similar to the Christian community. Um, they thought about, you know, lighting a fire. He said, no, this is too similar to the Zoroastrian community. So the Prophet ﷺ was deeply concerned, and it, it was bothering him. 
And so the Sahabi went home and that night had a dream in which he saw a person carrying a bell. And he asked, you know, can we use this for our prayer call? And the person said, should I not give you something better? And that's when that person delivered the adhan. So the companion went running back to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him that, you know, I, uh, I, I had this dream where I was given this call to prayer. And he recited it to the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ, he smiled and said, this is it. And he said, teach it to Bilal because Bilal is the most beautiful of voices and Bilal called the prayer and this was the advent of the adhan for salah. Uh, and then we finished by talking about Bilal and Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum. Uh, one of them was a former slave uh, from, from Abyssinia and Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum was a person, a man, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ who was blind. And we talked about how the Prophet ﷺ had appointed them to be in high positions, mu'adhin, that they were people who called the adhan and that the Prophet ﷺ did this purposely uh, obviously, he he said that you know Abdullah. Uh, he said that Bilal radiAllahu an had a beautiful voice, but there was also the reality that the Prophet ﷺ was choosing two individuals who, in a previous life, would be socially looked down upon. Bilal because he was of African origin, uh, he had dark skin, and he was a former slave. And so, this these were things; these were social constructed baggages that he was carrying that obviously Allah Ta'ala had no concern about any of those qualities. It doesn't distinguish or take away from anybody any of those qualities. Uh, and then Abdullah bin Umm was a man who was blind and again looked down upon by an ableist society because he was unable to see. And so the Prophet Sallallahu beautifully chose these two people to be leaders within the community so as to tell the society that it's irrelevant what you, how you measure people. I'm measuring them by the way that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will measure them which is that you know, their taqwa, their piety. So that was where we left off last week. Now, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Prophet ﷺ, when he arrived to Medina, he was uh, engaged with a pluralist society, that there were numerous people who lived in the city of Medina, that many of them were in fact not Muslim. You had the Aus and the Khazraj, you had these two major tribes that were the tribes that accepted the Prophet ﷺ and that had pledged allegiance to him, that had entered into the fold of Islam. Um, and the Muslims in Medina were known as the Ansar. They were the helpers, the ones who helped and aided in the Prophet Sallallahu uh, migration from Mecca to Medina with the Muhajirin. And so you have these two communities of people, really a one community, a Muslim community, but made up of uh, two generally different groups of people from different regions, one Mecca, one Medina. And then you had many tribes underneath. Right? You had many tribes, many families clans and tribes underneath those categories. Outside of that, you also had other tribes and clans that weren't Muslim. Uh, you had some Christian tribes and clans. You had some Jewish tribes and clans. You had Banu uh, Quraida, right? Banu Qainuqa, Banu Quraida. You had these, these tribes that were Jewish. And what was interesting about the Jewish tribes was that before the Prophet ﷺ had been announced and had arrived and had been accepted as a prophet, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, you know, was being looked forward to. People were uh, really looking forward to his arrival from particularly the Jewish tribes. Why? Because the coming of a messenger was mentioned in their scripture. And so the Torah had mentioned and described the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ coming and, uh, you know, taking the mantle, so to speak, of prophethood. And this was something that they were expecting. Now, the Jewish tribes in Medina, they had, specifically the ones in Medina, they had an unfortunate 
uh, reputation. And I'm going to say this very clearly because I think that there is uh, an unfortunate uh, trend within our community that when we're speaking about these tribes, we're not talking about every single Jewish person that has ever existed. We're talking about specific examples, right? So there's no room for us to interpret this as an allowance to hate Jews or going. And this is something that we need to work on in the community is that we're not a community of people who are anti-Semitic, right? There are, uh, there are many, many individuals, uh, so many from the Jewish faith that are supporters of justice and that we may have differences with, but they support just causes. Um, you'll see many Jewish families and Jewish even leadership and scholars um, in different parts of the world that are protesting the oppression of our Palestinian brothers and sisters. May Allah Ta'ala give them aid and uplift the oppression. You'll see this, right? And so I just want to make clear that when we're talking about this, we're not talking about uh, characteristics of every single Jewish person. We're talking about specific tribes in Medina at a specific time, right? And, and these were the characteristics that they had, these Jewish tribes that lived in Medina, that they had this characteristic. And by the way, these characteristics people are not just safe from them. Like Muslims are also in danger of this. Christians are in danger of this, which is they became religiously arrogant. They became spiritually arrogant. What do I mean by that? Is that because they had scripture from Allah, because they had been sent a prophet, they had felt as though they were uh, superior to everybody. And so these Jews had migrated originally from the Byzantian area and had come to the Hijaz, the Gulf, and they had settled there um, but they and, and they sort of they sort of integrated, but they didn't really assimilate. And so, even though they were you know generations in the Hejaz in the Arabian area, they didn't really assimilate. Meaning, they didn't really become um, you know Arab in that way. And so, they still held and maintained their identity, which is okay. But the problem was that they considered their identity to be greater than the Arabs that were living there, and that came out in their, in, that, in their interactions. They used to make fun of the Arabs and call them backwards. They used to call them uh, illiterate. They used to call them uneducated because being religiously trained was a, um, being religiously trained was, was an aspect of literacy. Like when, obviously when you're talking about scripture being sent down from Allah, divine revelation, and that scripture being recited and memorized and recited, obviously literacy is going to come with that. So, because they were a religious group, they had literacy, and the pagan Arabs didn't have that kind of literacy. And so they always kind of maintained like this social elitist uh, rhetoric above the Arab tribes, and this obviously started to cause and foster resentment in the hearts of the Arabs against these Jewish tribes in Medina. Um, and so the beef basically ran deep. It was something that was many, many generations in the making, and it was not something that had started, uh, you know, right when the Prophet came or before them. This is something that was going on for many, many decades, centuries, right, that the Prophet had come into. Now, the one thing that was very interesting was that the Jewish tribes and the rabbis, one of the points that they would use in Medina to sort of stifle and put down these Arabs uh, the Arabs who lived at the time, both Christian and pagan, basically non-Jewish, was that they would tell them that when the next prophet comes, he's going to be from our like lineage. He's going to be from our, uh, you know, um, our ethnic background, our heritage, our lineage. That he's going to be Jewish. He's not going to be from the Arabs. He's going to be from 
the Beni Israel. And so they had been anticipating and they had been talking a lot of uh, rhetoric, a lot of, you know, really hateful hmm. rhetoric. I'm having trouble hearing you. About, they've been talking a lot of hateful rhetoric about the Prophet Sallallahu and using that as a, as a as advantage, as an arrogant advantage against these people. Um, so then, when they had said this, and the Prophet Sallallahu had arrived, what did he do? Was he sent Mu'ad bin Jabal, and there was another uh, companion by the name of Bishr bin Bara' bin Ma'rur. Uh, Bishr was the son of Al-Bara' bin Ma'rur, who was a very notable uh, tribesman, very, you know, uh, he was the one that met with the Prophet ﷺ during the, the Bay of Aqaba in, uh, in, in during Hajj. And he had passed away very shortly after the Muslims had come to Medina. He had passed away very shortly. In fact, I think before even the Prophet ﷺ arrived, he passed away. But his son, Bishr, and Mu'ad bin Jabal, who were Muslims, they went to the Jewish tribes when the Prophet ﷺ had been confirmed, and they told them that there is a man from Quraysh who is claiming to be the messenger of God and we have accepted him and we believe in him and y'all should believe in him too. And this was the first time that they heard this rhetoric. This was the first time that they heard this rhetoric from uh, the Arabs and it caused them a lot of disdain, a lot of anger. Um, and so when they felt this way, yeah, no, I said, yeah, that when they felt this way, they started to then take it out even further, and they started to promise amongst each other that, you know what, we're not going to follow uh, this man. There has never been a prophet sent after Musa. There won't be a prophet sent after Musa. So they kind of went back on their word. They kind of went back on their word. They went from a position of using the Prophet Wasallam as a way uh, to establish their dominance, and then now they're going back and saying, well, there's not going to be a prophet. You know, you guys, you guys are mistaken. The guy that you're claiming, he's not real. You know, we're the last people, we're the chosen people, etc., etc. Um, and so they said, Mu'ad bin Jabal said, O people of Judaism, right? O people of Judaism, fear Allah and enter Islam. And enter Islam. And actually what's beautiful, subhanAllah, is that they never saw their Jewishness, the Muslims never saw their Jewishness as like, oh, you guys are so far off and so distant. They just kind of kept telling them like, look, just come join us. Like, you guys have been on track, just come join us. And uh, Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, when He says, Bow with those who bow. This is one of, one of the tafsirs of that verse, is that it's addressing the Jews of Medina, telling them to join the Muslims in prayer. Because you basically have everything else. You, might, you just got to accept the Prophet and start praying. Because the prayer of the Jews was different. And so, Allah Ta'ala was telling them, like, just, just take this step, right? Just take this step. So it wasn't a major shift in anything besides the internal ego. And that's what's going to be revealed to us here, is that the reason why they weren't able to accept the Prophet ﷺ was not because of really any visual or ostensible reason. It was, a, it was an internal reason. It was an ego problem. And they, some of them admit it even later. So he says to them, Mu'ad bin Jabal continues, and he says, You were hoping to have victory against us with the Prophet ﷺ, and we were a people of idolatry. And he says that now this prophet, you used to tell us about this prophet coming and now he's come. You used to tell us, like you were the people that came to us and told us, oh, this messenger is going to come. And once he comes, we're going to be like super powerful in charge. And they used it as a, as a rhetoric of arrogance against the Arabs. And the Arabs are like, now he's here 
and just so happens he's an Arab, right? Just so happens he's an Arab. So he's saying, Mu'ab bin Jabal is saying, like, accept him. Like, let's unite. Let's, let's put all this stuff past us and let's unite. Um, and one of them, Salam bin Mishkam from Bani Nadir. Bani Nadir is one of the Jewish tribes. He said, nothing has brought forth anything. At, you know, no one has come forth. No one's new. And he says that he is not, whoever you're talking about is not the one that we described to you. Whoever you're talking about, I don't care. Don't tell me about him. But whoever he is, he's definitely not the one that we described to you because he's from the Arabs. So again, he's not even listening or having an engagement. He's just saying, no, it's not true. It's not possible. Um, and so Allah Ta'ala kept revealing verses addressing this, saying that, and when there came to them a book from Allah confirming that which was with them, although they had prayed for victory against those without faith, when that came to them and they recognized it, they did not believe in it. So all these verses that you read in the Quran, when you hear about the groups that signs came to them and they rejected, this is referring to the, these instances. A lot of them are referring to these specific instances. Um, So there's a, there's a couple other narrations that I want to share with you that are really powerful, subhanAllah. Um, so there are some narrations that start to show that these individuals actually did internally believe in the Prophet Wasallam. It was almost like some of the Meccans, the Quraysh in Mecca, that they believed in the Prophet Wasallam. They accepted him as a messenger, but they couldn't come out with it. They couldn't uh, accept him publicly. Like they, Almost like cognitively they understood, but spiritually they didn't. Okay, and we'll talk about this in, in a second. But I'll tell the story now. So Abu Hurairah, he tells us that the Prophet ﷺ came to the house of Midras. Okay, um, the house of Midras was a, a place that was commonly uh, known to hold religious discussions. It was, like a, it was a community hall, community center. And he said, um, the Prophet ﷺ said, Bring forth to me, when he arrived in Medina, the most knowledgeable amongst you. So this was a place that rabbis and, and, and Jewish scholars used to gather. So he said, the Prophet said, let me speak to your leader. Let me speak to the one who's the most knowledgeable amongst you. So they responded, that would be Abdullah bin Surya. The Prophet then went to Abdullah bin Surya. He went to him alone. So he sat with him alone, just one-on-one. And he said, let me talk to you. And he explained to him the message that Allah Ta'ala had sent. And he had explained to him, he told him the story. And he gave him evidences. The Prophet provided him with verses from the Qur'an explained him stories from the time of Musa, how God had given them manna salwa, how he had given them you know, provisions from the heavens, how he had shaded them with the cloud, how he had saved them from Fir'aun, everything. He, he went through all of this. And he said, the Prophet concluded by saying, isn't it obvious like, to you now that I'm the messenger of Allah? Like what other person would be able to recount to you these stories, these, uh, you know, these moments in this way, I'm not. A, he's like, I'm not a Jew. I'm not a rabbi. I'm just telling you, I'm the prophet of Allah, and he told me this information. So he says, "Do you know now that I'm the messenger of Allah?" And Abdullah responded, "Yes, absolutely, you are." He said, "Absolutely, without a doubt." He goes, "And my people, the people in that room over there, the house of Madras, he goes, they know as well. We all know. We all know. And now it's even more obvious to me." And he says, "He says your description and your depiction." are clarified in the Torah, like the books that we've mastered, we're rabbis and we're scholars, you are the description to a T. But he says, here's the key, he says, but they envy you. But they envy you. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he said to him, okay, that's them. What about you? He said, that's them. Maybe they have that problem. They might believe, but they don't want to give in. They don't want to submit to Allah. I can't control that. I'm not talking to them. He said, what about you? 
the Prophet said, what prevents you from belief? He said, I don't like to go against my people. And if they follow you, then I'll follow them. But I'm going to stick with the crowd. This was his, this was his, this person of, of such high esteem and knowledge and spiritual, you know, at the time amongst the Jews, spiritual rigor. This was his response. And subhanAllah, it's one of those things that when you're reading the Sirah, it's easy again. This is a lesson that we take in heart work all the time, which is that it's super easy for us to point the finger at somebody else and say, oh my God, look at those people. Oh my God, look at how they acted. Oh my God, look at how... And then you place yourself, when you read the Sirah, you always put yourself in the shoes of the people that you admire. So you're like, oh my God, I would be so like Omar bin Khattab, like we'd be the same person. Oh my God, I, I would, Abu Bakr and I would be best friends. Like... That's how we oftentimes place ourselves. But subhanAllah, try finding characteristics that you read about or you hear about from people who in the sirah are not seen as positive people. Try seeing if you have some of those characteristics. You know, it's like we're only reading about ourselves. We only look at ourselves, the good things that we like, and we're ignoring all the areas of work. So what do I read when I read this story? You know, the Prophet is beckoning to an individual to follow him, and he's saying, no, I'm going to stay with my friends. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm 32 years old, how many times in my life have I had that? Have I done that? How many times have the Prophet told me to do something, whether it's through the Qur'an or through the Sirah, like I was reading and I learned, or I was hearing something, and how many times have I felt too shy to go against the crowd, to go against what society was saying, to go against you know, what my friends were doing. How many times have I felt too embarrassed of the Prophet You know, one thing that always scares me, subhanAllah, is that I think about on the Day of Judgment when everyone's running away from each other and nobody recognizes one another and everyone's just caring about themselves. The one person that's going to reach a hand out to us is the Prophet And there will be people that when, when the Prophet reaches out to them, that the angels will say no and they'll basically shoo them away. And the Prophet will say, why did you shoo them away? Weren't they from my ummah? And the angels will say, they were, but they tried to change your religion after you came. They, they tried to change it. Like, they weren't, they tried to bend it and mold it and fit their own way. Instead of submitting and following God and following you, they tried to do Islam their own way. And so the angels will actually reject the Prophet from connecting with us because of those things. We ask Allah to protect us from that, that we're never those people. So I always read these stories and I think to myself, like, man, it's too easy to consider yourself like the victory the protagonist, you know, like, oh, I'm on the good side. Look at that and ask yourself, like, how many times have I not gone with the Prophet Sallallahu because no one else was praying, so I didn't pray either. No one else was going, so I didn't go either. No one else, was, like, that's not the way of, of spirituality, right? That's not the way of piety. The pious person, they try, they work hard at trying to make the right decision no matter where they are. You know, Allah, the, the Prophet Sallallahu said, اِتَّقِلَّهَا حَيْثُ مَا كُنْتَ that you should remember Allah wherever you are. It's one of the signs of piety is that a person can remember Allah wherever they are. You know, that they could be like in the, in the, they could be at work, they could be in the DMV, they could be, a lot of people also complain that, oh, work is not spiritually fulfilling. Work is not spiritually fulfilling. Do you think that the companions were spiritually fulfilled when they were, when they were selling, you know, grain in the marketplace? Do you think that that was like a spiritually fulfilling job? No. Right? No, they were just hustling, right? They were working. So a lot of people, young professionals, who try to, you know, get on the spiritual high and try to make their work all spiritual, you know, if, if Allah Ta'ala puts you in the position where you work and your work is fulfilling and you feel a purpose, that's great. But you know what else is beautiful and spiritual and fulfilling? 
is earning halal income and providing for yourself and your family. That's beautiful. That's noble. You know, it doesn't matter if it's not the most like lofty position or purpose or you don't work for an NGO that's building wells in, in, in countries that need access to water. If you are, that's great. That's awesome. But if you're not, if you're working for Microsoft or if you're working for a hospital, if you're working for any, and you just kind of feel like you're grinding, you know, this isn't professional advice. You can obviously seek that from people who are qualified, but don't always try to attach spirituality as the most like hyper spiritual moments in your life. Sometimes spirituality is just found in making the right decisions in moments that are just normal. You know, spirituality at work can be found when you take a break to pray dhuhr and don't skip it. Spirituality can be found when you, uh, you know, when you make sure that you stop and pray maghrib on the way home. Like spirituality can be found when you, during your lunch break, you don't just sit and eat lunch, but you also have like maybe a Quran translation that you want to get through. So you read half a page a day. Like you can make your life spiritual if you choose to make those right decisions. So these stories show us that when people made the wrong decision, they would do it right with the face of the Prophet in front of them. May Allah protect us from that. It's crazy. It's crazy to read those stories. SubhanAllah. Um, so, you know, it would have been something that would have been expected that because these people had been anticipating the Prophet that they would have joined him, but they didn't join him right away. Uh, in fact, they didn't join him and they, they hid their anger and eventually they started to even publicize uh, their enmity. They publicized their enmity against the Prophet uh, One narration here, it's, it's sharing a very beautiful story. One of the wives of the Prophet Sophia, right? Sophia, who was Jewish before she accepted Islam, she tells a story about how her family reacted to the Prophet how her own family reacted to the Prophet And she said, she, she prefaces the story by saying that I was the most beloved of people to my father. My father and my uncle, right? Her uncle's name was Abu Yasir. Okay, so her father and her uncle, she was the favorite child. She was the one that when they came back from town, they would always, you know, she even says, she goes, never did I meet them in a crowd of the other kids, like, you know, her siblings, her cousins, they would all meet them, her father and her uncle. She said, never did I meet them except that they would pick me out and they would like pick me up and put me on their arm or their shoulder or they would take me with them. You know, they would walk by, say hi to all the kids and then they would take me with them and wherever they were going, they would just kind of like let me be their companion, right? So she said, I was their favorite. When the Messenger of Allah came to Medina and he stayed in Quba for those few days before Medina, she said that they became curious. My father and my uncle became curious. And so they went out before Fajr time, right? When it was still dark outside, they went outside and they did not return until Maghrib. They did not return until the Maghrib time. So they went out, let's say 5 a.m. and they came back at like 6, 7. That's like over 12 hours. And they seemed exhausted. When they came back, they looked tired. They were walking slowly. They were very, you know, exhausted. They were barely able to stand up. And so she ran to them because that was her habit. You know, she was the favorite kid. When you see dad and, and, and your uncle, who typically give you candy, take care of you, you know, love you, show you a lot of treatment, and you see them coming back, you know, it's almost like kids when their parents come home, they go run to the door. You know, Musa today, when I come home, he always runs, Baba, Baba, you know, it's just, it's just natural habit. So she's saying, I ran to them, and she said, and by God, neither one of them even looked at me. Neither one of them even noticed me. Like, I ran right by them. I ran up to them, and they just kind of like walked around me. Right? And she said, that was how miserable they were. That was how, that was how despaired they were. They looked so miserable. And she said, I heard my uncle say to my father, her father's name was Huyay bin Akhtab. 
that her Abu Yasser says to him, is it really him? Like Abu Yasser, her uncle, looks at her father and says, is that really him? That's the prophet? That's the messenger that we've been reading about in our books? Is that really him? And Huye said, yes, it is. By God, it is. And yes, Abu Yasser goes, did you recognize him? Like, did you feel like you can confirm it from the descriptions in the, in the Torah? You, can, you recognized him? And her yay says, yes, I, without a doubt, without a shred of a doubt, that's him. Absolutely. So Abu Yasser goes, so what do you feel? Like, what are you thinking? You know? And you can tell that Abu Yasser is a little bit open to it. Because he's kind of like just trying to feel it out. He's not really, doesn't really have a lot of aggression or anger. And her yay, her father, Sophia's father, says, I hate, I'll hate him for as long as I live. I'll hate him for as long as I live. So in the beginning, in the beginning there was a, uh, you know, a feeling of sort of this question or maybe concern. Now it's turning into, uh, you know, now it's turning into to hatred and enmity. She goes in another narration, she said, that my uncle went to the Prophet ﷺ when he went to Medina. Her uncle Abu Yasser, who was kind of like more open, he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he listened to him. He said that when he returned, he went to his people. Abu Yasser went to his people, his family and his friends, and he said, Oh people, listen to me. God has sent the messenger, his messenger, that we were waiting for. Follow him and do not go against him. So Abu Yasser, even though Safiya's father was against him, Abu Yasser decided to be with him. And he said, do not go against him. She said, then my father went to Abu Yasser and he told him that I promise you, I, will, I went and saw him, I talked to him again, I will remain an enemy to him. I will never embrace him. I will remain an enemy to him. Abu Yasser said to him, O son of my mother, right? O son of my, is my brother, right? He's saying, oh my brother. He says, obey me in this and don't take me for anything else. Like, listen to me just in this. I promise you this is the one. Like, you need to just trust me on this one. But he says, and, and you can ignore everything else that I ever ask you for the rest of my life. Just take me in this one. He goes, take me in this. Otherwise, otherwise, if you leave me, he goes, you might regret it. And it might be your ruin in the afterlife. And her father said, no, I will never accept you. I will never obey you. So this was something that was proven uh, amongst even some of the common folks, some of the common folks. You guys remember the narration of Abdullah bin Salam. Abdullah bin Salam was the Jewish rabbi who went out to greet the Prophet ﷺ when he arrived because he wanted to see if he was um, if he was legit. He wanted to see if he was real. And so he went, and when he saw that the Prophet ﷺ was, you know, he, he said that you know uh, his face could not be described as the face of a liar, that this was a person who was always truthful. Um, he accepted Islam. So he went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him privately, he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of God, he goes, my people are people who are, they're, they're being shady, right? He says that they're, they're, they're false accusation. Basically, translation is, they're being shady, like they're not being legit. Like they basically were telling everybody about you before they found out you were Arab, before they found out all this stuff. When, when, when the Torah was written about, you know, when it was read, I'm sorry, about you, they were flexing on it. They were telling everybody, like, oh, like he's going to be from us. Now that you're an Arab, they're being really, really messed up. Like, they're not accepting you, even though we all know that it's you. Even though we all know it's you. So he was saying, and if they know that I'm Muslim, then they're going to try to tear me down. 
and they're going to say things about me that are going to make you like doubt me, right? They're going to try to tell you things about me. Once they find out I'm Muslim, they're going to tell you like, oh, we know that guy. That guy's a really shady character. So he said, Abdullah bin Salam is really smart. So he said, do me a favor. He goes, can we invite them to my home and I'm going to hide or invite them in my area and I'm going to hide and I want you to ask them about me before you tell them that I'm Muslim. He said, I just want you to get, get some feedback on what they think about me. He said, okay. So he called them and he said, the Prophet spoke to a, a, a gathering and he said, oh, people of the Jewish community, he goes, do you guys believe that I am the messenger of God? Do you guys believe that I am the messenger of God? And do you guys believe that you should enter Islam? And they said, no. <laughs> they just said, no, absolutely not. So the Prophet said, okay, let me ask you something. He goes, do you guys have a person amongst you? His name is Al Hussein bin Salam, which was Abdullah bin Salam's, uh, uh, his name before Islam was Al Hussein. The Prophet recommended Abdullah after he accepted Islam. So he said, Al Hussein bin Salam. They said, oh yeah, we know him. Al Hussein bin Salam. The Prophet said, tell me about him. They said, he's our chief. He is like from the, 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 the lineage of, of chieftains. Like he's our chief. He's the son of our chief. He's one of the most knowledgeable amongst us, if not the most knowledgeable amongst us. And he's definitely the best of us. Like they praised him through the roof. And the Prophet and then they said, he's our rabbi spiritually and he's our scholar. He's our teacher. And the Prophet said, what would you do if he entered Islam? What would you do if he entered Islam? And so these people said, oh my God. They responded, they said, may, may God protect him from such a fate. They said, may he never enter Islam. May he never enter Islam. When they said that, Abdullah bin Salam, who was kind of hiding away, he emerged from where he was hiding, and he went to these people and he said, oh my people, remember God, fear him, and know that this man is the messenger of Allah. Right? He said, know that this man is the messenger of Allah, he has come with the truth. You and I, he says, you and I both know that this is the person that was written about in the Torah. This is the person that was written about in the Torah. His name and his description, they fit him perfectly. Right? And he said, and I bear witness that he is the messenger of Allah. And I believe in him and I hold him to be true and I know him. When he said this, the group of people that had just praised him, they had just praised him. They said, you are nothing but a liar and you are a horrible person, and you are wicked, and they turn to the Messenger of Allah, right, after they just destroyed this guy, they just laid it on him, they turned to the Prophet and they said, did we not, uh, did this guy never trust him, they basically trashed him. Then when he left, when they left, I'm sorry, Abdullah bin Salam, he turned to the Prophet and he said, did I not tell you that my people were being shady? Didn't I tell you that there were shady people? He says, these people when I wasn't there and they didn't know I was Muslim yet, they praised me. I heard them. And he says, and as soon as I told them, nothing about me changed. All I told them was that I believed in you. They started to assassinate my character and say horrible things and try to convince you that I was horrible. He said, didn't I tell, didn't I tell you that my people were like this? SubhanAllah, this is powerful. So one of the things that we take from this as a lesson, and we'll wrap up shortly, we have a few more minutes left, is that Islamophobia, you know, a lot of times, it's, it's very powerful when you read these narrations of Medina because... Typically, the way we interpret Sirah is that Mecca was hard, Medina was easy. But there was actually different challenges along the way, no matter what. I want you guys to imagine that the Prophet ﷺ goes through all of Mecca, okay, 13 years, torture, harassment, difficulty, 
private teaching, private preaching, not able to build a community, not able to have a protected community, constantly in flux, you know, chaos. Um, never able really to build something sustainable. And so much so that they have to leave. They have to transfer hours and hours away. And they go to Medina. And we think, like in our heads, we're like, oh, Medina, we love Medina. You know, you see pictures, you visit, you fall in love. And you think like, oh, this was probably paradise for them compared to Mecca. But you don't realize that when you read these stories, that there was a constant battle that was fighting internally. It may have not been the physical harassment, but there was a there was some 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 you know mental and uh, political drama that was happening in which there were tribes that were gathering and uniting. And you'll see later later as we go through this, the sirah, you'll see later in the history of the Prophet ﷺ that they didn't just do it amongst themselves; they also tried to encourage other people and they try to get other people involved right there was another story that i'll share and trying to get other people involved and this will be the last story for tonight which shows you that there was a lot of trauma that was still happening that the prophet didn't just walk into medina and everything was solved that's not how the world works you know if, if you think that some milestone in your life is just going to fix everything that's just not how it works the prophet went from mecca where there was difficulty and he got to medina and sure, some things were different, but there were still difficulty. There was a person by the name of Shas bin Qais. Shas bin Qais was one of the most obstinate uh, enemies to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And so what he tried to do was he tried to, um, he tried to sow discord and hatred amongst the tribes of Aus and Khazraj that had accepted the Prophet ﷺ. And so what he did was when he saw that all these people were joining the Prophet ﷺ, he went to some of the young guys in the community and he told them, I want you guys to go and there's a large gathering of people. I want you guys to go and I want you to start to recite poetry about what was called the Day of Bu'ath. The Day of Bu'ath is a day in the history of Medina, pre-Islam, that was mentioning the battle between the Aus and the Khazraj in which the Aus defeated the Khazraj. So again, think of it this way. In Medina... There's these two major tribes, and they actually had a civil war called the Battle of Bu'ath. Aus defeated Khazraj. So what's Shas bin Qais doing? These people have now united. They've, they've, they've become Ansar. They've become brothers and sisters, and, and they've united under the Prophet ﷺ. And this guy is trying to sow discord amongst them. He's trying to uh, you know, break this new bond. So what happens is he sends these young guys, and notice, by the way, he's a coward. He's not doing it himself. He sends these young guys, and they go and they start to recite poetry about how the Aus defeated Khazraj and how Khazraj were brave and Aus were this and Khazraj were, and they were starting to sort of rile people up. So what ended up happening was the people from Aus, they were Muslim, the people from Aus started talking trash about people from Khazraj. People from Khazraj, they were Muslim, but they still started talking trash about their brothers from Aus. Until finally the Hadith says that one or two guys started fighting at each other. The Aus started fighting the Khazraj and they started to fight one another. And then, once the fight kind of subsided and people pulled each other back, they told each other, meet back here with your weapons. Like, okay, this fight doesn't count, meet back here with your weapons. So then, subhanAllah, they, the, the Prophet was notified, somebody ran and got him. Because obviously this is happening, right? And it's not like our era where people just pull out their phones and start yelling, world star. Like, some people actually with consciousness, they ran to the Prophet and they said, this is happening, this is happening. So the Prophet he came, and he told everybody, he said, oh, he said, everybody, listen up. And they all listened to him. And he said, what are you doing? What is this? Why are you going back to Jahiliya? He goes, 
you've entered into Islam. You've become brothers. Why are you living these days, uh, you know, uh, of jahiliyyah? And when they heard these words, he told them, he goes, are you really going to turn back to this stuff after Allah has guided you? This precious gift in your heart, this sakina that you have, this newfound peace, you're really going to go back on this now? And you're going to start going back to your old ways? And when they heard these words, the narration says that they all started to cry. They all started to weep. And when they wept, they started to hug one another. The Aus and Khazraj embraced one another, and they held each other, and they apologized to one another. Thus, the Prophet ﷺ was able to diffuse the plan of Shas bin Qais. So this session today, I hope what we took away from it, was that the situation on the ground in Medina was not very easy. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves that there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a time when things will just become easy for us. And we sometimes think to ourselves, you know what, Politic- become politically active and things will become easy. We think to ourselves, you know, become, uh, you know, spiritually active and things will become easy. Think to ourselves, if, I, if I'm financially set, if I'm economically set, things will become easy. That's just not the nature of this life. That's not the nature of this life. The sunnah of Allah in this life is that there will be test after test after test. And I mean, even look at now, the, the coronavirus situation that's unfolding. It seems like every few hours, it becomes more challenging and more challenging and more challenging. And part of this, subhanAllah, that's very inspiring is that when you look at the Prophet ﷺ, he never just gave up. He never just gave up hope. He never just said to himself like, oh, you know what? This is too tough. I'm done. He, as the challenges became more difficult, his faith became stronger. And as his faith became stronger, the challenges became more difficult. But when his faith became stronger, he was strong enough to hold them and carry them. You know, Allah Ta'ala sometimes doesn't take away your challenge, but he'll give you the strength to handle it. And why? Why would Allah not take away the challenge? You know, everyone's begging Allah right now. Oh Allah, oh Allah, take away this virus, take away this virus. And subhanAllah, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. It just looks like we're going to have to go through with it. And just live it out until there's a vaccine, until, you know, who knows how long, subhanAllah. And someone might sit here and question. In fact, I've seen this. You know, people on the internet, unfortunately, say the most un- unfortunate things. So, you know, if God is real, if God is there, why don't you just, you know, pray to him? And that's such a faulty understanding of how God works. Allah Ta'ala doesn't just remove things. Because maybe, maybe, in this moment, there's a lot of things that we're going to gain. Maybe. Maybe the strength of this moment. Maybe the trust. Maybe we're all being reminded about Allah. Who knows? Right? And we're all going to come out of this on the other side being very appreciative, remembering Allah, strong enough to handle things, right? Allah Ta'ala is going to put us through this and we're going to get through it, inshallah, either way. But the point being is whatever challenge you're going through in life as a result of this, whether it's sickness or your business is suffering or layoffs or anything, just know that the Prophet ﷺ, not a day in his life he lived and his life was easy. Not a single day in his life. Every day he woke up, there was something happening, something he had to handle, something he had to do. Allah Ta'ala is like reminding us all the time, you're always going to have to work, you're always going to have to work. The rest that we're looking for, the ease that we're looking for is not in this life. Is not in this life. The rest that we're looking for is in paradise. So if we understand that, if we believe that, then we know that whatever comes our way, Allah Ta'ala is with us and we can handle it. Just like the Prophet ﷺ taught us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept. Barakallah fikum everybody. I apologize for going over my time by a lot. I was supposed to end three minutes ago, 20 minutes ago. Um, inshallah, you know, we'll, I, I did a lengthy introduction to kind of explain the whole situation. That won't be happening uh, every Monday. So ask Allah Ta'ala to accept, inshallah. Barakallah feekum, everybody. 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.